It's so pleasing to the eye and refreshing to the soul as we remember that when you cleanse us, when you forgive us, we are whiter than snow. And Lord, we thank you for your great mercy. And we thank you for this time that we get together together as a family, as a body of believers. Lord, guide us this morning. Touch us by your spirit. In your precious name, Jesus, amen, amen. Well, take a moment, welcome, and welcome those around you. Well, good morning, everyone. Today is a beautiful day. This morning when I was in the tree stand and the sun was coming up and just, oh, I was, it was great and beautiful. Even though I didn't see a deer, it was still beautiful. Well, I want to give, my name is Pastor Cody. I want to give a few announcements. We have the yellow sheets here. In fact, Tony, are you here? You want, why don't you just come up right now and share about this? We got yellow sheets that we get information from you, so we can, my, my favorite thing is so we can pray for you, but we're going to be kind of changing some things and helping us as a church, so Pastor Tony's going to share about that. Well, good morning. I haven't actually been here in two weeks, so I feel like I haven't seen all of my family here in a long time, so it's good to be with everyone this morning. We are doing um, an update on our directory that we have at Maranatha. We have both a uh, uh, we're going to have a printed directory, which we haven't had since. Anyone know? Quiz time. When was the last year we had a printed? 2012. That's been a few years. So our goal is in the beginning of January to have that ready. Um, sorry, I have a mint in my mouth. I was planning to finish before Cody uh, called me up. Um, it's hard to talk with that. So it's Breeze. The name of our director, our uh, database is called Breeze, and this is we've been switching over. It's been months of working on getting things cleaned up in there, and so this week you're going to be receiving an email from me with your username and password, and check your spam because sometimes they'll go go to your spam as well. Um, and if you want to make sure that we have a correct email address for you. If you're not sure, if you haven't been getting emails from us and you want to be, then fill out one of those yellow sheets that Pastor Cody was talking about. Put your name and your email on there. For most of, of the adults in the church, we have, uh, your, you should have your correct email. And, uh, and so look for that email from me. Go on and it'll have your username and password. You can update and then change your password to whatever you want on there. And that will give you access to your profile, your information that we have for you. And we'd love for you to confirm that we have the correct information for you. Check that. If you've moved, if you have a different address or a different uh, cell phone number that you want to share with us, we'd love for you to check that and update that information for us um, by the end of December. So again, we're giving you a month here to do that with, uh, to take care of that. We know that there are some of you that don't like doing technology things at all, right? Any hand, raise of hands, you're not a big fan of computers and email and all that stuff. So for you, um, starting today and running through the next handful of weeks at least, maybe through the end of December, most Sundays in the fellowship hall, in that 
uh, corner desk in there. We're gonna, Michelle and I are gonna, uh, whenever we can be there, we'll be there with the computer and we can pull up your information and you can look at it on the, on the computer there. We'll just talk to you and confirm that we have the right information for you so that we have accurate information before we print our directory in January. Um, and then the other part of this is, is photos. So um, we love to have pictures of people in our directory so that when we print it, people can make connections of faces with names. We've had many of you asking for that. We've been working hard to get to that point. I can't tell you how many hours have already gone into this. Um, it's a huge project and... And so we have photos in there. Um, some of those are from photos that we've taken at Christmas or Easter time or different you know, times in the past when we've had a, something set up and, and grabbed photos from you. So whatever photos that you've provided for us in the past, we have those in there, but a lot of those need to be updated. They're, they're older photos, so we'd love to get fresh photos from you if you're willing to do that. For those who get the email online, you can go online and update your, your photo directly into your profile, both personally, so we want individual photos, and we'd love to have a family photo. And again, it doesn't have to be of your entire like extended family, but if it, if it captures those of your family that attend Maranatha, um, that, that would be great. That would be sufficient, and that would help us. So again, if you have kids that are off to college now or young adults, um, and you don't have a, a family photo with them in it, that's okay. If you just grab the, a photo of, for those who are currently attending, that would be, that would be wonderful. Um, if you have a family photo with others in it that you can submit, that would be great too. Um, you can email those to, to myself or to Carmen, and we can add those in um, if you can't figure out the, the way of doing it yourself. Or um, you know, when, we, when we help you in the back there, Michelle and I, we can help you take care of that as well. So with those photos, though, we do have... Um, photos that you've provided for us. Um, for some, as we've been grow- building this directory, we've also, as staff, been trying to help connect faces with names for ourselves. So sometimes we've gone on to your Facebook and we found a photo of you so that we've used that. So don't be surprised by that. Um, that uh, but if, again, if you have a better photo that you would like to have included in there than what we've snagged from, from online, from your Facebook profile photo or what, or family photo, please provide that. So again, there's two spots, one for an individual photo, one for a family photo. Uh, and again, the time frame, I've mentioned that. And, and so you will have access, if you want, um, you will have access to, to this information starting in January as an online directory. So at any point, when you've got your smartphone on you, you can go on, log on to our Breeze database, and you can check. So on Sunday mornings, when you forgot that person's name that's sitting on the end of the pew from you, you can, oh, I remember their last name, but what's their first name? You could actually do that. I don't necessarily recommend being distracted from the sermon, I will confess I do that sometimes because I'm trying to learn all of your names as well. So I think that covers the things that I need to cover again. Come and see Michelle and I in the back between services or after, um, you know, if you're hanging around after second service as well, we can help you there, get that updated. Um, And she'll be there um, as much as possible. With that, um, the adult discipleship group that has been doing the person of interest study, that has completed. So if you... um, weren't aware of that. That one has ended, um, that Greg and Michelle have been uh, facilitating. So uh, that means Michelle will be available to help with this project um, as much as, as she can in the weeks coming. So with that, I'll turn it back over to Pastor Cody. Thanks. Oh, ABM, already been moistened mint. No, just kidding. He, he took it. I was going to down that thing, crunch it up. All right, a couple announcements here. We got the calendar to be praying for missionaries. Again, I encourage you to grab this 
Put this at a place that you see it every day, maybe the bathroom, maybe your bedstand, whatever it is. Get this, be praying for our missionaries, especially during the Christmas season. A lot of them are unable to be with family, so be praying that they would be encouraged where they're at. A couple things, we're going to just talk about all Christmas things coming up here. There's the Christmas dinner for the ladies, I think, on December 2nd. All this is in the bulletin. You can pick it up and read that. All right, Christmas caroling is December 17th. So we'll have church service. Please sign up so we know, so we can get some food for you. We'll just have a meal together, and I'm trying to get everything set up so that way we can go to the nursing homes and maybe visit a a couple of our shut-ins. Christmas times. So Christmas Eve will be Sunday. So that Sunday we're going to have our two normal services at 8.45 and 10.30, and then another service at 6 p.m. Those three services will be the same service content. Okay, so depending on your family tradition, what you got going on that weekend with Christmas on Monday, decide which one to go to. Again, so we're going to have our two normal ones, normal services, and one at 6 o'clock Christmas Eve. All three services will be the same content. Also, November 20. 7th, which is coming just around the corner here. If you want to join us to decorate this place, that would be awesome. And then that's all I've got for that. The thing to celebrate. Each Sunday we like to celebrate something. And Operation Christmas Child is something that you've heard a lot about, a lot of you have been a part of. You've given donations financially. We thank you for that. In fact, I just got a letter from... Um, Franklin Graham that said, thank you, Maranatha, for your donations for the Operation Christmas Child and the shoebox. We have, is there a picture of how many boxes we got? 1,700. Amen. That is a blessing. And I believe that's the most we've ever collected. Is that correct? Yes, I think it is. Yes, awesome. All right. So grab your Bibles. And get ready for, remember, we're doing November in the book of Psalms. So we're going to have Darren Cox share from the word this Sunday. So Darren, come on up. I want to pray for you. We are glad that you get to preach again. I love it when you preach because my soul and heart's like, all right, Lord, feed me through your word. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. You are the author of all that is good, beautiful, lovely, precious. And that truly is your word. And this passage, this chapter we're going to look at this morning, oh, it's so rich. So Holy Spirit, we ask, and we invite you to do that spiritual surgery that we need in our lives. If there's something in the way between us and you, we pray rip it out this morning. If it's comfort we need, send your spirit to do that work and anoint our dear brother. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Cody. Good morning. I'm going to date a few of you here probably with uh, this question, but how many of you remember the Andy Williams show? Anybody? Any hands? Oh, there's a few, a few. I think uh, Pastor Aaron insulted that uh, demographic of our church a few weeks back, so I'm going to honor you and praise you for, for your wisdom, for your seasoning, for your maturity. But yeah, in 1963, 
Andy Williams sang a famous song. It's called The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Aaron's popping his head back there after I insulted him, so hopefully he's not uh, sending any bad vibes my way. But yeah, 1963, the song The Most Wonderful Time of the Year was done as just an intro to his, to his talk show. And from what I gathered, this song was never designed to be a promotional single. It was just given to him as a way to introduce his show. And as we all know, the song has kind of taken off from there. It sold millions of copies, and it's consistently been in the Billboard Top 5 of our Christmas songs that we sing every year. Now, when I think of the most wonderful time of the year, it's not Christmas, and it's not marshmallows for roasting. It's definitely not parties I'm hosting, and you will not find me caroling on the 17th. Sorry to let anybody down. And, and I'm not trying to sound like Ebenezer Scrooge here because I, I, I genuinely do love the Christmas season. But for me, the most wonderful time of the year begins, give or take a day or two around November 7th, goes all the way through the month of November and culminates in the last weekend in November. And I'm sure that most of you have probably figured out that I really enjoy the fall season. I love to deer hunt. And as a result of this, Thanksgiving for me has become the most wonderful time of the year. Now, Psalm 5014 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Philippians 4 6, we just did a study on from the book of Philippians, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? With thanksgiving. Colossians 4 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And I could list example after example after example throughout Scripture of the writers pouring out gratitude, pouring out thanksgiving to God for all that He's done. Our own country traces its origins of thanksgiving back to the time of the pilgrims, which we're all aware of. What I didn't know was that the pilgrims regularly set aside days of prayer, days of thanksgiving, to be able to thank God for His provision, for rain, for crops, for military conquests, and such. And in 1798, the Continental Congress of the United States proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving. Now this proclamation was a little slow to catch on to all of the states, and it wasn't until 1863 that President Abraham Lincoln declared Thanksgiving to be a national holiday. Now when I was a kid and we'd gather around the Thanksgiving table, it was kind of this awkward silence that would fill the room as dad was going to say, so what are you thankful for? And as a 12-year-old, I'm like, Dad, can you just shut up so we can eat? Okay, I mean, that's, that's literally what would go through my mind. And I'd have to come up with something, you know, something lame like, I am thankful for my dog, I am thankful for my family, or whatever. But in the back of my mind, all I saw was this barrier that Dad was placing between me and what I wanted to do. And that was just simply to dive in. And again, I know it sounds pretty petty, but when you're 12 and you're famished and you haven't eaten in 12 minutes, it's a lot to have to come up with. But for the month of November now, our church has been studying select psalms. Pastor Cody spent two weeks on Psalm 23. Um, and a few weeks back, Michelle Nord's father just blew our doors off with Psalm 100. What a powerful, gifted speaker that man is. So when Cody asked if I was available to preach after Thanksgiving, of course, my mind and my goal went, I want to preach on a psalm of Thanksgiving given the season that we're in. And of course, the book of Psalms is full of psalms of thanksgiving. Psalm 717, I will give to the Lord the thanks due His righteousness. 
Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield, in him my heart trusts. I am helped, my heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. Psalm 95, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 103, 1 through 6, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. In Psalm 36, his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That's why we're here this morning, to worship the goodness of God, for his steadfast love endures forever. So needless to say, I had a lot to be able to choose from this morning, trying to find a psalm of thanksgiving. And for our purposes, we're going to look at Psalm 32. And a few weeks back, my oldest daughter asked me what I was going to be preaching on, and I told her Psalm 32, and she gave me this kind of quizzical look. She's like, Dad, isn't that the psalm about the dude that's wasting away in his sin? And I'm like, yeah, that's the one. And I could tell she's like, boy, you're about ready, ready to bring a real uplifting message, aren't you? And I'm like, well, just, just give this a minute. Let's just see this through the end, because what we see is God's character just powerfully on display throughout this psalm. So stay tuned. So if you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayers to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So I want to begin with the first word here of this psalm. First word is blessed. We have it here, we have it over there. We're thankful, we're definitely kind of in this, in this theme. But, but what does it mean to be blessed? What's the writer getting at here? And for some, the idea is happiness. Happiness is what comes to mind when they think of what it means to be blessed. For others, it's an inner state of mind, a sense of contentment. And still others, it may be reflective of, of inner joy. But what does it mean here? What is the psalmist getting at? Now, Jesus himself used the word blessed nine times 
in the Sermon on the Mount. We read this in Matthew chapter 5. And his use of the word points to an inner sense of well-being for those who have responded to the gospel proclamation. And as a result of that response, they have a right relationship. They have a right standing with God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now I want you to notice three words here. Transgression, sin, and iniquity. Transgression is a revolt. It's an act of rebellion. It's a trespass. A sin is an offense. And this is an offense against God. And iniquity is perversity and evil. Now, most of us do not like to think of ourselves through that particular lens. But to clearly understand what it means to be blessed, you have to be able to understand who you are without mercy and forgiveness. We sang this song earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it. This is a cry from a person's heart who recognizes his sinful state. This is our condition. We are prone to wander. We are prone to acts of rebellion. And if you think otherwise, if I think otherwise, I'm deceiving myself. And I have less need to be forgiven and I cannot fully grasp what it means to be blessed. Because only the forgiven can echo what it means to be blessed. Blessed is the man who is forgiven and whose debt is covered. Whose debt is covered. Now when Heather and I first moved to Spooner back in 2004, we had two kids with us and one in transit. Uh, He was very much accounted for, but we hadn't seen him yet. He was inside the very pregnant belly of, of Heather at the time. And part of the reason that we moved to northern Wisconsin was so we could live off of one income. So when Cody's time of delivery came, we were faced with a pretty pretty hefty bill and I think the social worker who was at the hospital at the time could sense that this bill was was weighing on us and she told us about this scholarship fund that was available based upon income need and you know I filled it out without much thought well long story short the entire bill was covered we didn't know a dime and what that did for us is that it magnified the blessing Because the debt that was owed, I couldn't pay. And it was covered. It was forgiven. And blessings are magnified when they're contrasted with the debt that is owed. Now sin has consequences that impact us physically and they impact us spiritually. We read this when the psalmist says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now I want you to contrast here this image of keeping silent, hiding it, with verse 2 where the psalmist says, And in whose spirit is no deceit. In whose spirit is no deceit. No deceit in spirit is a man or woman who does not keep silent by trying to hide their sin. 
And how many times have I tried to downplay my sin or justify it in some way, shape, or form? This is what we all have a tendency to do. And I believe the reason that we do this is we don't fully grasp the character of God. We certainly don't see Him as abounding in mercy at the times that we want to hide. We're certainly not leading with this image of His steadfast love for us. Sin has a tendency to make us view God as distant, as angry, as somebody who's sick of hearing us repeat the same, I'm sorry God, I did it again. And this skewed understanding of God oftentimes is what leads people to be stuck and stay in sin and not confess. Now, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. They hid. So you and I are in good company with this penchant to keep silent. It's wired into our spiritual sinful DNA, if you will. But I want you to hear the cost that's associated with this diversion tactic of keeping silent. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. The imagery here is this heavy weight of sin. Now, I don't see this practice a whole, practiced a whole lot anymore, and perhaps this has something to do with child labor laws, I don't know, but when I was a young teenager, my neighbor was a farmer, and he would hire me every July to help him with square bells. And anybody that's ever done square bells know it is hot, it is dirty, it is itchy work. So it was either loading him onto the wagon or loading him on the elevator up, up into his barn, and it's usually done, it seems like in the hottest days when, you know, it's the, everything's dried out. And at the end of the day, you want nothing more than a glass of lemonade to jump in the lake and get this hayseed off my neck. That's all I can think about. But it truly is strength-sapping work. And the psychological and physical effects of unconfessed sin we see clearly put on display here. Now, I've seen people in my office that carry around the burden and have carried around the burden of unconfessed sin for years and years. Maybe it was an abortion years back. Maybe it was a night of failing to keep your marriage vows. Maybe it was a time of tight finances where you were not honest with your taxes. But whatever the circumstances, this weight of sin impacts your spiritual vitality and sometimes even your physical vitality i clearly remember watching my dad change before my eyes as a kid i grew up in a christian home with godly parents my parents were involved in a church plant in northern minnesota not too far from where pastor tony grew up my dad was on the elder board and it was not an uncommon scene for me to wake up in the morning and his Bible would be open where he was, you know, reading uh, typically the Old Testament. He loved the Old Testament stories, but he was a voracious reader of Scripture. And over time, I began to watch him change. I saw him get more and more angry, more and more distant. His prayers were canned, I guess, if you will. They just seemed to lack passion. He became more and more passive rather than leading our home courageously. And unbeknownst to us at this time, he was involved in an extramarital affair that went on for years. And like a leech or a tick that just sucked the blood, the sin sucked the spiritual vigor right out of him. And when the truth came out, it all made sense. 
but we didn't know it at this time, know it at the time. But this loss of vitality and this loss of spiritual vigor that I'm, that I'm referencing here is not about a loss of salvation. I came across this quote by Jonathan Edwards, and he says that you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And I think that's important for us to remember. We're not talking about loss of salvation, but the consequences of sin on your spiritual growth, your spiritual vitality, cannot be overlooked. You and I are going to sin. I hate to admit that. I hate to have to say that, but that's a fact. We're going to. But what we do determines, what we do next determines our spiritual health. And how we live that out through confession is truly what it means to be blessed. Now Jesus says in chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit means that you understand that you contribute nothing to your salvation. We are blind, poor, wretched, and naked. That's the amazing thing about the righteousness that Christ gives us is that we don't earn it and we don't deserve it, but what does He do? He gives it anyways. Poor in spirit means that you recognize you need a Savior. You need a Savior. Now, I know that all of this is heavy, heavy stuff. But I want you to read verse 4 again. For day and night your hand. Whose hand? His hand. This is the same hand that we read in Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the same hand that reached down into your and mine existence and exchanged that heart of stone for a heart of flesh. This is the same hands that show the nail scars that provides a way for you and I to have access to God the Father. This is the same hands that's going to pull back the curtain of time and tell the Messiah, go get my kids. Go get my kids. It's time to bring them home. And I want you to see that this heavy hand of the Lord is not a demonstration of judgment. It's a demonstration of mercy. Francis Thompson wrote a book called The Hound of Heaven. I'm sorry, a poem called The Hound of Heaven. I'm just going to read a part of it to you. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down a myriad of ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him. But those strong feet that followed, followed after. With an unhurried chase and an unperturbed pace. Deliberate speed, majestic majesty. The Lord just keeps coming. He keeps prodding. He keeps convicting. And He'll use circumstances. He'll use people. And sometimes He'll even use physical ailments in an effort to get us to slow down, to stop running, and confess. And confess. So as I was studying this, I was reminded of a video clip that I saw years ago that was about the oldest hunting method that there is. It's called the persistence method. And basically, it's a tribe in Africa that's so adept at tracking animals that they pick up a track 
and they just dog it. They just stay after it for hours upon hours upon hours, running this animal into submission until finally the animal's so tired and spent it just lays there and they walk up to it, dispatch it, have a feast, you know, call it a day. So their hunt becomes this test of endurance of who's going to collapse first. Who's going to cave in first? Who's going to give in first? I have news for you people. You can never outrun God's mercy. Never. Never outrun God's mercy. There's no place where you can go where His loving spirit of conviction isn't going to follow. We read this in Psalm 139. Where can I flee from your spirit? That's the ultimate rhetorical question, isn't it? Nowhere. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand. There it is again. The hand of God shall lead me and shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day. Darkness is a light to you. But what struck me as I recalled that documentary is for the trackers, the end of the chase means death. The chase described here in Psalm 32 means life. means life. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I want you to cover up, I'm sorry, contrast that cover up my iniquity with verse 1. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. We cover to hide. He covers to pay. We cover in defeat. He covers in victory. We cover in shame. He covers with grace. We cover in humiliation. He covers with justification. When He gently reminds us, I paid for that. I paid for that. I love that still small voice of those reminders of God's grace. Verse 5, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is a three for three exchange taking place here, but I assure you this is not a fair exchange. When I was a little boy, I'd oftentimes go to my grandpa with a quarter and I'd say, Grandpa, I'll trade you a quarter for a dollar. And what do most grandpas do? They give me a dollar, sometimes more than that. And it was anything but, you know, fair. But that, that, that picture of a loving grandfather is what comes to my mind with our Heavenly Father because I give Him my transgressions, my sin, and my iniquity. And what does He give me? He gives me forgiveness. He gives me atonement. He gives me justification. So repeating verse 1, whose transgression is forgiven. Literally, this means to be carried away. The removal of sin and guilt. Whose sin is covered. It's paid for. It's not brought up again. Satan always wants to bring, us, bring up our sins and remind us. God's Word says something otherwise. He said, I paid for it. It's dealt with. It's done. Counting no iniquity is literally what it means to be justified or declared righteous. And as I'm reading this psalm, I get this sense of the psalmist David here, this sense of relief. When he finally stops running, and he falls into the merciful arms of a Savior. 
And when he does this, when he confesses his sin, now he understands what it means to be blessed. Now God doesn't waste trials. He doesn't waste hardship. It's one of the things, the older that I get, the trials that I go through at some point in time are going to be used either for my growth and benefit or the benefit of others. It's like, God, can't we kind of learn some other way rather than to go through hardship? But that just kind of seems to be how, how it works. And we see this with David here because he takes these lessons that he's gone through and now he gives us some application. Now he gives us some, all right, here, let me give you some insight. So there's some characteristics of the God, godly that come out beginning in verse 6. And verse 6 begins with the word therefore. And anytime you see that in Scripture, we always want to go back to the preceding verses because that's what therefore is therefore. It's a reminder to back up a little bit. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time that you may be found. This prayer that's being offered is a prayer of confession. And this is David sharing his intimate knowledge of what happens with unconfessed sin and telling his audience, don't repeat what I've done. Don't go on indefinitely when you sin. And seeking God when we got sin to deal with is a characteristic of a godly person. Seeking God when we got sin to deal with is a characteristic of a godly person. So number one, they confess. Number two, they trust. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Because David found mercy instead of judgment, he's now going to remind his readers that God is imminently trustworthy. You can trust him. Because he perseveres, he preserves, he surrounds, he protects. That's what he does for you. That's why we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. And it's important to remember these characteristics when Satan wants to tell you otherwise. He wants you to believe otherwise. So they confess, they trust. Number three, they pursue personal holiness. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding which must be curved with bit and bridle or will not stay near to you. This is a personal challenge by David, who again is attempting to pass down his wisdom here. Now most animals that need a bit or a bridle aren't real intelligent. It's not a characteristic of something that's all intelligent, that's that intelligent. To control them, to get them to draw near to you, they need to be steered. And I came across a quote that says, God gives the godly freedom on the highway of godliness. What that says is that we draw near. Yeah. Sweet. All right, where was I? (laughs) Yeah, personal desire for holiness. Do you see holiness and do you see the pursuit of it and living by God's word as a series of, you know, I have to's or and I get to, I want to. And a pursuit of personal holiness will lead to times of confession. Why? Because we're going to blow it. Own it, confess it, and live as one redeemed. Live as one restored. So they pursue personal holiness. Number four, they live a life of praise. David concludes this psalm of thanksgiving with a way that all 
times of thanksgiving should be concluded, and that is with shouts of joy. Now, my shouts of joy are governed by my conservative Norwegian roots. And what I mean by that is if my hand's up, it's because I have a question, okay? (laughs) That's all that means. Occasionally, you'll see me get to about here. You know, there's a great Tim Hawkins video out there about raising hands. And and if I get to here, I'm really feeling laid in the spirit. But that's not typically what I do. But this is what David is saying, that we should let our shouts of joy of thanksgiving be lifted up before the Lord. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Being surrounded by God's steadfast love means that I don't run away. It means I run too. I run too. This steadfast love compels me to confess and make right the fellowship that sin has broken. So some application questions that come out of this is, you know, number one, do I trust Him? Do I really trust Him? It's easier to do when things are going well, but what do I do when i got sin to deal with? Do I trust Him enough to draw near to Him to confess? Do you remind yourself that you're righteous? Not a righteousness based on anything that you've done, but a righteousness that's based upon what's been done for you. And this is not a righteousness that's based upon your ability to do the right thing. We just read in this psalm that the psalmist hid. This is a righteousness that's based upon the blood of Christ who has paid every debt that you owe, every debt that I owe, and presents you before the Father as one who is restored. That is what it means to be righteous. And finally, the other key piece here is to be upright in heart. Upright in heart doesn't mean perfect. It means when you blow it, you own it, and you deal with it. Why? Because he's already dealt with it. He's paid for it. It's paid for. So I want to close with this. This is a passage I'm sure many of you are familiar with. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Years ago, Pastor Cody gave a sermon on that particular passage, and he talked about how we have a tendency to skip over the first part with God's mercy and steadfast love and focus more on the not leaving the guilty unpunished. And sometimes that has a tendency to drown out those promises about God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And sin does have consequences. Anybody that tells you otherwise is flat out lying to you. But I take comfort in some immutable facts. First in Exodus 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. In verse 4 and 5 we read this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven, above or in the earth beneath, or the waters underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commands. 
I'd never looked at it from the standpoint of sin creates guilt for those who love God. If you hate God, you don't feel guilty about anything. You just do what the rest of the world does. There's no moral compass to guide. So sin creates guilt for those who love God. Guilt is experienced by those who love Him and are making it their goal to live a godly life. So that's the first immutable fact. The second immutable fact is that the sting of death, the sting of sin is death. And Jesus Christ has paid for that. He's defeated death. In Hebrews 12 we read that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Scorning its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This picture of Jesus being seated communicates to all of us that's done. The task is complete. It is finished. It's paid for. His death, burial, and resurrection means that I no longer have to hide my sin because He's paid for it. So the next time that you feel the weight of sin and you want to run, I want you to remember you are feeling the weight of His loving hand upon you. His hand upon your shoulder, gently whispering in your ear this simple reminder. You can't outrun me. You can't outrun me. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the richness of Your Word. I thank You that You've given us instructions to guide our lives and examples to follow, and examples not to follow. And God, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ, for the fact that He has paid the debt that we owed, and that He presents us to You as white as this new snow that we have this morning. So God, if there are those that are harboring and hanging on to sin, that are keeping them from being able to live out this abundant life that your word talks about, God, would you help them to deal with that? Would you help them to deal with that now, this morning? Take away any, any barriers that are there from intimacy with you, God. And help us to live as those truly redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing with us. <laughs>